Romans chapter 8, if you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles or pull it up on your phone or however you get there, just go to Romans chapter 8. I, I do. I, I'm so grateful to be able to serve in a church that, um, in which we see so many people who believe God is calling them out to go and reach the world. And uh, it's such a privilege to, to be a part of that and to help lead uh, when it comes to that mindset that, that people need the Lord, of course. Uh, and as Charlie said, a, a personal Lord. And uh, so I hope you will make it a matter to pray for her and lift her up. This is such a great opportunity for her. And I, I hope that she'll be in your prayers concerning that. Well, let me just tell you where we're headed over the next several weeks. Uh, today and next week, we will continue to be in the book of Romans. Uh, I want to finish up chapter 8 before we move into a Christmas theme. Uh, so we'll eventually get to Christmas. We'll sing Christmas music. We'll have the stage decorated and everything on December 10th. So hang in there with us, okay? Uh, we'll get there soon, all right? I think some of you are like, when are we going to sing to Christmas music? It's coming, all right? I promise. All right. Royal Invitation, Living with Purpose. Let me just say this as we start. This is really part two to what we started last week. And uh, part one was all about the idea of, of living above suffering and not under the, the, the guidelines of suffering and what that brings and all the emotion that it brings and the doubt that it brings and many times the despair. Well, today what I want to do is move to the whole idea of living with purpose. So look at the introduction. One of the basic truths that every believer needs to understand is what is God's purpose for my life? Now, it's such a simplistic topic. It's a simplistic question. It's that whole idea that we've been asking for years. Books are written on it, all kinds of ideas, but really it's not that complicated. What is God's purpose for my life? What is he up to? What does he desire to use my life for? When we understand what God's purpose is for our life, then we will better understand why he allows difficult circumstances to come into our lives. And, and of course, many times, we don't want to be inconvenienced by difficult circumstances. I, I, I'm one of those too. And I think we all would say, man, I really just not prefer to have those in my life. But they can lead us. Listen, this is important. Those things can lead us to God's purpose. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Last week, we were looking, as I said above, that whole idea of living above suffering, not under suffering. And we looked at some of the causes of suffering. If you will remember from last week, we know that we are born in sin. Uh, we know we inherited that from our parents and our great-grandparents, our, 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 our grandparents, our great-grandparents. It goes all the way back. And so sin, we're born in the climate of sin and we have a sinful nature. But not only that, another reason for suffering is our situation. Our situation is that we live in a fallen world. How many of you knew that? Just saw glimpses of it last week. How many of you realize that we're uh, living in a fallen body? That's easy. We're sitting here living in that right now, right? And we understand that from, from these things come suffering. How about this, the whole idea of self? It's that whole idea of that principle of sowing and reaping. And many times we, we, we cry out, why are we suffering? Well, sometimes it's our own fault. We put things in motion in which we sow certain things. We're going to reap certain things. They come with the consequences. And then, of course, we looked at Satan. He's the cause of much suffering in this world. 
so much suffering. And, and he, he's not satisfied until he destroys us or attempts to destroy us. And then, of course, our salvation brings suffering. It's the whole idea of persecution. It's the whole idea of being misunderstood. And, and I don't know about you, but I can't understand why a world wants to reject unconditional love that's, that, that Jesus wants to bring to the world. I don't understand why they don't get that and want that. And so many times there's misunderstanding, but these are the causes of suffering. So how do you cope with suffering? Again, this is from last week's sermon. The key to dealing with suffering is having the correct perspective, to have a big picture perspective. But so many times what happens in our suffering, what happens in the difficult circumstances, all of a sudden that's all we see. We don't see the big picture. All we see is we hurt. And many of you can identify with that. Maybe some of you are sitting here today. And then Romans 8, Paul introduces us in verse 18 to how to get there. He starts that conversation about how do we get to understand the big picture? Look, look at what it says in verse 18. For I consider, that's the perspective above the suffering, is suffering's potential. He's saying, I've looked at it, I see it, and I'm considering, I'm calculating it. It's the whole idea to get to the big picture. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, what does that imply? They're not permanent, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That language there at the end of that verse is talking about what God can do through the suffering. There are great things that can be accomplished even through the suffering. Now, was it God's intention for us to suffer in the first place? No, God created a perfect environment with perfect peace. Everything was in place for it to be perfect. But guess what? It didn't stay that way. We failed as a human race. And then we looked at this whole idea last week when James says this crazy thing. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Just, just get all excited about that trial that came into your life this week. That, that, that report you got about your health. That, that, that relationship that seems to be broken and is in chaos. Count it pure joy. What in the world is he talking about? Look at the potential that God can bring to that situation. That's what he's telling us here. So realizing this as it relates to our suffering, this is where we need to draw on. It. It's going to build us to where we are today. Suffering is temporary. So many times when we look at our suffering, we think this is never ending. This will never stop. And, and sometimes it, it appears that way because it is. Because we go from one thing to the next to the next. And sometimes it's more than we can handle. But the thing you got to keep in your mind is it's still temporary. Number two, Jesus is returning. He's coming to take this fallen world and, and he's going to rectify it. And the Bible says, and behold, there is a new heaven and a new earth. You know what that means? He's flipping it around. He's bringing perfection back to our reality. Next, the Holy Spirit's praying for us while we're going through this. And, and guess what? We're not the only ones groaning in this suffering world. The, the whole creation is groaning and suffering in this. And then the whole idea, and this is what leads us to today, God is working through it all. Through all the fallen condition, through all the difficult circumstances, through all the suffering, God is at work. He is orchestrating something and there will be an end to it. But yet we sit here, don't we, in the midst of our suffering. You know, it's amazing how often 
We can't see anything other than the suffering. And, and I'll be honest with you. I think it's the biggest thing that blinds people to the love that God genuinely has for them is their suffering. And, and I'm convinced that, that people out there are saying, okay, if there's a loving God, we said this last week, if there's a loving God, he's so all-powerful like you say he is, why is this even in play? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. So what's God up to? The first thing I want you to see on your outline for this morning is this, God's promise, God's promise. You know, we were singing that song. I think it was the second song that we sung. And, and I'll be honest with you, you have to be careful with some of the newer music today because some of the, <laughs> the music we choose here, we, we try to stay on top of the good theology, okay? But you really have to be careful about songs that don't, that don't have good theology, and one of the songs that we sang here today, it just didn't sound right to me. And, and it's funny, I'm preaching on this today. And uh, that whole idea, how many of you, when you, we hear that phrase, God is on our side, does that not cause you to cringe a little bit? I mean, listen, he is. But, but my whole meaning of my life and the meaning of your life is not that, that God's on our side, but we're on God's side. You understand that? But you know what we're preaching on today? that God is on our side. And, and it's amazing how so many times we look at all this and we try to look at our situation and we think, no, 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 it's all about me being on God's side. That's true. That's where we need to move towards. That's his, his ways. It's his will. It's his purposes. But sometimes we tend to forget that he's on our side too. Only because of this, not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because of the work that Christ has done on the cross on our behalf. That's why he's on our side. Not that I'm this great person. Not that before Jesus came, I impressed him. Because I didn't. But because of what Jesus did and is doing in and through me. And for that reason, God says, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. And he's speaking of us who know him. And so God's promise, where does it all begin? Look at Romans 8, 28. We're going to look at it again today. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. All these things are working in our lives. It's working to the good. Now, the, the word work together, or the phrase work together is that idea of synergy. I taught you this last week, and it's a fantastic word. It's one of my most favorite words in the whole uh, dictionary. I started to say the whole Bible, but the, it's implied in the Bible. But here's synergy. It means the whole that God said is good becomes reality through the sum of the parts. Synergy is literally that whole idea in which the parts come together to form something. And that's what God is doing in your life. He's bringing all the parts together to do a great work in your life. And some of those parts may be the people that he sends into your life that encourages you and love on you. And, and, and he brings them to, to that point. But guess what? Some of the parts may be the suffering. Some of the parts may be the difficult circumstances. Some of the parts are parts we, we don't understand and, and we get bogged down and we lose our way sometimes. Some of those parts are the things that we completely wish were not in our lives. And yet, what does it say? He's bringing it together. He's forming something. That whole idea that Jeremiah said, he is the potter and what? I'm the clay. He's, pull, he's building something. He's pulling something together. And then he says this, they work together for good to those who love God. To those who love God. And we're going to 
he, he explains that very well in the, in, the, in, in the next verses. To those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. It wasn't one day I woke up and said, you know something? I think I'm going to make my life all about this God I'm hearing about. His purpose. I'm going to get involved in his purpose. I'm going to show you in a little bit how it didn't come about that way. Okay, it's just something you need to understand that God looked out there. He identified you and he said, I'm going to do something through that person right there. That's what this verse is saying. So let's look at the the rest of the outline. Verse 28, listen, does not look at life blindly. It does not look at life blindly. It says work together for good. It does not say that all things are good. Would you say that everything in your life right now, I'm talking about everything, is what you would consider good? No, because we all have relationships that could be better. We all have broken hearts in some form. We all have disappointments in some form. We all have ailments in some form. I mean, it's just part of life. Sometimes we wake up with new ones. And many times we, it seems, so this verse is not looking at things blindly. It says, it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. There's a big picture at work. There's something in which he's orchestrating. This is just part of the parts. Next, verse 28 does not look at life self-centeredly. It's amazing how growing up in our culture and this Western mindset is that we think everything revolves around us. Don't we? We really do. I remember my first mission trip where I went to the same place year after year. I went to Romania for almost for five straight years. And what was interesting about that place is I developed some friendships with people that, that, that were not surface friendships. And we began to talk as we went. So the fifth year I was there, I was sitting there with two, two of uh, people that I had struck up a relationship with. And I said, what frustrates you the most about Americans? And they just kind of looked at each other and laughed. And I said, what? What's so funny? They said, most Americans think everything is centered around them. Not only them personally, but them as a nation. It's almost like they had that error that they're the only thing that really matters. Let me just tell you this about God's plan. You're just part of the grand plan. You're not the plan. You're not the grand plan. You're part of the plan. And the thing that we sometimes mess up on, mess up on is we don't realize that our life, through what God is doing in our life, is, is being shaped in such a way that, that, it, that it works in cooperation with someone else's life. And the thing is, when we start looking at it and say, it's all about what God's doing through me, or it's all about what I don't like that's in my life, and how dare you, God, to put that in my life, then we lose sight that, or we think, and tend to think that we're the grand plan, and we don't like the grand plan. We're only part of the plan, however, because there's other people in our lives. He's working something through all that. So when God is working, it's not just about you. It's about the network of people that he's placed in your life, the places in which he's calling you to serve, the places in which he says, you get out there. You don't let someone else do it. I'm calling you to do it. When there's a need in the church, you don't look around and say, well, who's going to step up? You say, God, is it me? Next, verse 28 does not look at life unrealistically. 
It does not say that all things have a happy ending here on earth. How many of you remember the storybooks? And, and, and they came together and they lived what? Happily ever after. How many of you have really seen that play out? You do know that's just TV, right? And, and the thing so many times is we, we think, we, we, verse 28 does not look at life, number one. Look on your eye. It does look at life forgivenly. God, let me tell you one thing about God. He never wastes an opportunity or circumstance in the life of a believer. God's purpose, listen, is greater than any sin we could ever commit. Did you know God is in the business of taking our failed attempts at life, our sin, the, the, the parts that are so ugly that he has the potential to make good things out of those things? Did you know that he looks at it and says, you know, these are still the, the parts of the psalm. These are parts of the whole thing I'm getting ready to create here. And this is part of it. And God says, yeah, we got to deal with this over here. You let this in. You shouldn't have done that. But you know something? I'm, I'm going to bring it for a greater good. It's going to be the part that we're going to put over here and we're going to call it good. God has the potential to take my mess and make something very good about it. And the thing so many times is we lose sight of that. So when God is working, so many times we fail. And what do we do? We lay there on the sidelines. And we just wallow in self-pity. And I'll never, God, he's, he's going to punish me. Oh, my goodness, how's, it go, how's he going to get me? Oh, my goodness, I'm never going to be able to get back to where he wants me. No, we're forgiven. Doesn't mean we have a license to go out and live how we want to because if we've been forgiven in a way that we understand, we really don't want to fail God. But when we do, He's there to say, you know something? There's great potential in this. We can still make something good out of this. And He's done it so many times in my own personal life. Next, verse 28 does look at life strategically. Strategically. He doesn't say almost everything works together. He doesn't say, well, let me just say this. I'm not going to use this, 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 and this. So this is, we're going to put this over here, and we're just going to deal with it right. Uh-uh. What does it say? It says all things. He brings it all to the table. He says we can work with all this. Now, some of you are saying, how is it that God can work through my sin? I still don't get that. Wait, you said that just a moment ago. That, I'm hung up on that. Listen, some of the greatest platforms of ministry I have in the lives of other people, listen, it just may shock you, are from my own past failures. When I can sit down and say, let me just tell you what this cost me. Let me just tell you how God wants you to go a different way than the way I went. Let me just tell you the sorrow that comes with a decision like that. He can use it all strategically. So he doesn't say almost everything. He says all things. It includes the bad things, the good things. He says all things work together. They're working for the good. So here's really what it looks like. God is intentionally using the part of our lives, the parts of our lives to create the whole purpose for our lives. And y'all, that is that word synergy. The sum of the, the parts are making up the sum of what he desires. Next, God, verse 28, does look at life purposely. Purposely. It says, and we know. The word know is used 13 times in the book of Romans. 
it says we know. This word means several things, but in the context of what we're looking at, it means this. It means it's absolute. It's unshakable confidence. Paul was saying, let me just tell you something about my life. I'm just here to tell you that God's working it all out. The time I was beaten, left for dead back there in Ephesus, and the time I was shipwrecked going over to Greece, and let me just tell you, he using it all. But you know what many of us would say? And I, I got to be careful because I think I could be there too. I can't believe I went out there and represented God the way I tried to do, and he let that happen to me. I can't believe I, I got on the boat. I was going there to do his work and the thing sunk. And I stayed out there on the sea in the Mediterranean Sea for two days. And, and I, <laughs> now he said, what? He got real excited almost. He's like, he's working it all out. This is good stuff. But our American ways in which our idols are comfort and convenience we could never imagine God would want us to be a part of something like that hmm. purposely we know it not only means absolute unshakable confidence it means this it's a knowledge that comes about through experiential knowledge through experiencing him Paul is saying, let me just tell you this. I have experienced everything. Since I've turned my life over to Jesus, since I had that encounter with him on the road to Damascus, everything in my life has changed. And listen, from that point on, he's been bringing everything to his head. Now, let me tell you what, Paul, what eventually is going to happen to Paul. Do you, do you know what's going to happen to him? He's going to be executed just a couple, several years after he writes this. And even going there, he writes to Timothy, his second letter, and he says, boy, this has been some race. I'm almost at the end. I can see the finish line. I'm almost there. Boy, this has been something. He knew he was getting ready to die. And he says there was purpose in all of it. Here's what this means. It means we can count on it because we have seen it play out before. How many of you have lived long enough gone through trials and tribulations, you saw what God was capable of doing and you came through it and all of a sudden something else comes into your life and you're not one of those that goes into self-pity, wraps yourself in a ball and goes into this fetal position and stays there for years. You're one of those that says, looks at that and says, I wonder what he's up to now. That's a whole different way of looking at life, isn't it? He's saying, I got a purpose in that. Job, I want you to listen to this. I don't want you to turn out. I just want you to listen to Job. Now, how many of you would say Job would say, man, all things work together for good to those who love God. Let me just tell you, I've seen, I mean, what did he lose? He lost everything. He lost everything. Here's what he said in the middle of it all. You remember his friends were coming up to him saying, oh, what did you do? What kind of sin did you do? Another friend come up and say, well, if you'll just think right, all this bad stuff wouldn't happen to you. Boy, you must be really out of fellowship with God because we're still prospering over here. And look at you, you're losing it all. Let me tell you what Job said. Write this down. You may need this. Job 23, verses 8 through 14. You can identify with this. Listen to what he says. Look, I go forward, but God is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. 
When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. But he knows the way I need to take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Paul, I mean, excuse me, Job in the midst of all this is saying, I know this is going to turn out okay. I know he's got to be doing something. I can't even see what he's doing. I don't even know where he's at. But I'm trusting him through this. How many of you have ever been there? God, where are you? What in the world are you up to? How does this even happen? My foot, he says, my foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have, tre- I have treasured the words of his mouth. That would mean his promises and his purposes more than food itself. But he is unique. He's like no other. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. This is speaking of God. For he performs what is appointed for me He's allowing those things to come into my life that's been appointed to me by him. And many such things are with him. That's hard to hear, isn't it? But God allows these things. I get so sick and tired of these people on the airways talking about, man, if misery and sorrow comes to your life, you must not be living right. What's wrong with you? This ain't God's plan for you. The only thing he wants you to do is prosper. That's a bunch of bull. Sometimes you're right where he wants you in the midst of the suffering. Again, we don't want to hear that here in America, in our Western society, when our idols are comfort and convenience. Do we? But he has a plan. He has a plan. God's promise. It's, uh, we go from God's promise to God's picture. What, what is he up to? What, with all that said, everything that we just said, what in the world is he up to? What is so important to him that would cause me so much suffering? Well, he's going to tell you. Verse 29 tells us. What's the number one purpose of your life? Here it is. Romans 8. Look at the second part of verse 29. To be conformed to the image of his son. Now, Jesus Christ was who? The son of God. He wasn't someone who just happened to show up in Bethlehem. He was someone who's always existed. He was a part of creating the world. Colossians tell us that he's holding it all together. And when he so chooses, if he desires, he could just pull something out and everything would collapse in on itself. He's that one. Yet what did he do? Did he come out scot-free when it came to suffering in this fallen world? No, he suffered mightily. It's amazing many of the preachers are on the airwaves. If they take the theology in which they believe, they would say that Jesus, there was something wrong with Jesus. Because he suffered. Because he did this. Uh, He didn't prosper the way God wants us all to prosper. (laughs) You You see the craziness? So what's the goal? Come like a son. Well, what does that look like? Hold your place. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 very quickly. Philippians chapter 2. His purpose 
is to make you conform to the likeness of his son, to make you like his son. So what does that look like? Philippians chapter two, verse five. He says, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery uh, to be equal with God. I mean, he, he was on the same plane as God himself. You remember, remember one time he said, well, if you see the father, you see what? You see me. When you see me, you see what? Father, we're the same. We're the same. But made himself, the one who's equated with God himself, made himself to be of no reputation. He emptied himself up of, 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 of much of who he was in the, in the form of his deity, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. <laughs> you mean to tell me God's goal for my life is to die on a cross. <laughs> no, what he's saying is Jesus humbled himself to the will and way of God. He literally emptied himself out of, out of his own will, his own way. He says, it's not about me. My life has never been about me. It's what the Father chooses to do through me and in me. That's what my life is supposed to be about. And you know what he's saying here? What Jesus did and his approach to his own life is the same approach we need to take to our own. Now, turn back. So, how does God make us more like Jesus? The scripture says, and we see it in scripture, there are two things he uses. Number one, his word. Listen, you, if, okay, I'm moving in a direction of becoming more like Jesus. How do I get there? You gotta come through his word. You gotta get through his word. But here's another thing he uses. He uses difficult circumstances. Sometimes he uses suffering. How many of you ever uh, had pride issues in your life? Raise your hand. Y'all liars, look at you all. I hadn't moved your hand just sitting there and I didn't somebody oh, hear you. You know, you know what, you know what gets rid of pride? Something that comes into your life that knocks that strut out of you. Guess what that looks like? Suffering. Everyone I've ever seen that had pride is a key issue in their life. And by the way, at the root of all sin is what? Pride. Everyone needed a little touch of suffering in their life to get through it, to get beyond it, to become more like Jesus through it. God's promise is verse 28. He is working in and through everything in your life. God's purpose is verse 29 to make you more like Jesus. So let's go on. God's promise, God's purpose, God's process. Let me tell you about God's process. Okay, if you're here and he wants you here, what does the process look like from here to here? First of all, you need to look at one thing as you get to that point. He is all knowing. There's nothing kept from him. He knows you better than yourself. He knows everything about He wants to get you from here to here. As he gets you from here to here, you need to keep in your mind, he knows everything. Nothing surprises him that touches your life. And so all of a sudden, something touches your life. God's not sitting there saying, I didn't count on that. It's not the way that works. He knows. 
Richard Nixon knew the moon landing of Apollo 11 was no sure success. How many of you remember? I don't remember. I, I'm not sure. I might have. I was very young at the time. But anyway, some of y'all may remember it well. But there were some difficulties. Okay, no sure success. So you know what Nixon did? He prepared a eulogy for the astronauts. Guess what? They made it back safely. Here's what the eulogy said. Fate has ordained that the men of Apollo 11 who went to explore in peace will stay on the moon, on the moon to rest in peace. But what happened? They got back home. Here's another one. November 1963. And an audience had formed to hear these words at a Dallas luncheon. We in this country, in this generation, are here by destiny rather than by choice. These were the words of John F. Kennedy who would be assassinated before he could actually give this speech. But he was planning to give the speech. Here's what's interesting. In history and the future, there is a delicate veil which hangs between what is and what could have been or what will be. Let me tell you something about God. He knows it all. We know very little that's the reason when suffering comes into our lives and difficult circumstances, that's the reason we have to be careful not to hold it here. We got to say, hey, I trust and my life is turned over to a God who sees it all. He sees over there. He sees where I am. He sees the things that are coming to my life, but he still wants me to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So therefore, there's a plan. There's something he's up to. God sees it all. In the rest of this passage, there are five words that tell us that God is aware of how all things will play out in our lives. These five words also represent the process he uses us to make us more like his son. The first word, I will not get a chance to get to today. So, <laughs> let me just say this. God knew this before I did, so evidently. I just want to tell you this. There are some sermons that God will lay on my heart. There are certain passages that, that, that I study and I, and I come across things. And, and God just, it's almost like he just says, okay, here it is. This is what I want you to tell them. I have never, I don't know who's doing the praying around here. But I have never, in the last two weeks, I've never experienced anything like I've experienced the last two weeks that has caused me more to say, I can't wait to tell them what I've just, what God's shown me this week and last week. I've never felt it more strongly than these last two weeks. And I'm just going to tell you this. This word, all of God's word has the potential to radically transform your life. But let's face it. What I've been talking about the last two weeks is where we live it's where we live on a daily basis. It's what we struggle with more than anything in our lives that causes us to doubt God. How many of you have been there? To live in despair, to live in discouragement is what I've been talking about. And so my prayer for you, and it has been for the last two weeks, is that you will somehow understand that God has a grand plan for your life. And that plan, and so many times in American culture, we, we think, oh, he's got a plan in my life. 
I am the grand plan. No, you're not. You're not. Jesus was the grand plan. We're, we're called to be part of the process of the grand plan. You're just a part of the grand plan. But so many American Christians think they are the grand plan. And if you hear a lot of the preaching in America, it makes us sound like we're supposed to be the grand plan. We're not the grand plan. We're part of the plan. And God has called us. Listen, it's not by accident you're here today. It's not by accident that you're a member of this church. God is working things out. Are we perfected? Have we got it all together? Absolutely not. We still live in a fallen world, but that shouldn't be our excuse. We should continue to strive strategically and strive to reach people like Charlie's going out and others will go out. We need to understand we are a part of the process. We're a part of the purpose that God has, but we're only part of it. And we need to see ourselves in relation to one another in relation to what God's up to. And if you're going through some suffering this morning, I, listen, I can't imagine some of the things I've seen some of you guys live through. And those who have passed on before us and, and walking with them through those steps as they enter into eternity. I can't imagine going through something like that. I've never dealt with anything like that. Some of you have, but I'm here to tell you that you, and I've seen it, that God's purpose sometimes is more clear in those moments than any other time in people's lives. When they say, you know something? I didn't get it till now. Just before they're about to die. But they see it. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, if you will. I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I just come to you right now. and Lord, I have no idea what people are dealing with in this room. I know you do. I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose. But Father, I think so many times, we, instead of the plan and the purpose, the only thing we see is despair and discouragement. And Father, I pray that you'll transform our eyes, our spiritual eyes here this morning. That you'll transform our hearts, Lord, to see that there's a grander plan beyond the suffering, beyond the difficult circumstance. Father, help us to see our lives as you see our lives. And it's clearly spelled out right here in Romans chapter 8. Father, I have no doubt that you, mean, you, you have so much more for us if we'll just see it the way you see it. Father, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, I pray today will be the day they give the heart to you. Father, if there's a Christian that maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit just impressed upon them today and it's like the light went on and all of a sudden they see their life as they've never seen it before. But Father, I know <laughs> that the enemy would love to bring darkness back to that. Lord, I just pray that they walk out of here, not, not move for a moment, but that their, that their lives can be transformed for eternity, Father. Your word is capable of doing that. And I pray that you'll do that in their hearts. If someone here believes this is a church home you called them to be a part of, I, I pray that they'll understand that, that, Lord, you're assembling a team. You're assembling your body together to, to do great things in this world and in this community. And Father, if this is the place you called in to be a part of that, I pray that you make it clear to them. We just thank you for it. Have your way in this invitation, in Jesus' name. Amen.